0: If you don't feel like doing it, sometimes you just have to do it.
1: Welcome to Tearing Up My Heart, Emotional Leadership Lessons, the podcast where we explore the connection between emotions and leadership. In each episode, we will dive into a specific core emotion in an unrehearsed interview of selective high-level leaders. Join me, Jenna Heath as we navigate the roller coaster of emotions that come with leadership and discover valuable insights that will empower you to become a more emotionally aware and impactful leader. From personal anecdotes to expert interviews, this podcast is your guide to mastering the delicate dance between the heart and the mind. Get ready to tear up old notions and pave the way for a new era of compassionate and effective leadership. Let the journey begin. All right. Hi everyone. Welcome to episode one. We are so excited for today. Um, thank you for being here. I think this is going to be a really awesome conversation. So uh, with me today is actually one of my close friends and who, what I would consider to be a leadership expert, Lisa Marie. You can follow her at L Marie Vasquez. I'll put all of the details in the description, but Lisa, thank you for being here. I adore you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited this about this is so <laughs> Yeah, don't go. <laughs> I'm so excited about today's conversation cuz I feel like I mean, we've known each other for almost a decade now, which is um kind of insane to say out loud, but I feel like I've yeah. really watched you know i've I've watched you consult and mentor you know ceos authors executive directors students other c-suite executives i've also watched you be a c-suite executive and a mommy and a wife and a friend and i just respect you so deeply so i'm really excited that you're spending the afternoon with us
0: thank you i am so excited to be here and i'm happy that you're finally doing this. I think you are the best person for this to host a podcast like this. So I think it's going to be a huge hit.
1: Oh, thank you. You're so sweet. Love you so much. (laughs) Well, I figured a really great place for us to start is just you sharing a little bit about your leadership journey, a little bit about your background. Like how did you get to where you
0: are today? Sure. Um, so I've had this theme, My whole life around leadership, that I like to say, like at the table, right? I feel like whenever you're working at an organization, you're trying to kind of have a seat at the table. And I've had this weird uh, experience in life where I found myself sitting at the table of these organizations that I was working at, even from a young age, um, just having a really key role in whatever place of employment I was at. And before I knew anything about core values and before there were like podcasts I'm dating myself (laughs) but when I entered the workforce like this didn't really exist um and I would I'd find myself just sitting at the table and questioning the leaders that were around me and not that it was good or bad, but just questioning it and observing and asking myself, would I be making these decisions or would I be leading like this? And what I didn't realize I was observing was probably core values that were in misalignment. And. I would leave these like really great seats at these tables that like I worked really hard to get at. I would just walk away, Um, for example, uh, for those of you who don't know this story about me, Um, I worked really hard all through college. I went to John Jay in New York, and my one goal was I wanted a fully funded Ph.D. I didn't really think um, paying for that education was going to be in my cards just based on my financial upbringing and kind of where I was at in life. So I worked really hard on my grades and networking and getting a place at the table so I could get that fully funded Ph.D., and I did. Um, I like to say I, I Babe Ruthed it, um, got like Babe Ruth all behind me. Um, but I was like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to, you know, knock it out of the park. And I did, I got the full ride plus a stipend to go get my PhD, um, at Rutgers. And then I turned it down. <laughs> I was like, this is not for me. Um, and it wasn't that the people at the table at that time were, you know, anything bad. It just, I was like, this is not an alignment with where I want my future and being okay to walk away from that. And I did that a few times until I really felt like I could be in positions where I could help shape um, what was happening in the leadership and the organization around me. And that came with time and experience and a lot of other things. But for me, what was important is I didn't want just a seat at the table, but I wanted to be able to figure out what was on the menu and make sure that I actually wanted To, you know, have it myself um, and live that out. So for me, my story has kind of gone between um, either, like you've mentioned, I've been in these C-suite positions helping run an organization. I also spent a number of years, about seven years, consulting um, in my own brand and strategy firm called In Retrospect, um, where I still even see some clients um, on an as-needed basis uh, through a different company now. But, um, yeah, that's me in a nutshell. (laughs) I love that. I've, I've heard that story
1: from you so many times. And I love that story because I think it gives the power of just like walking away. Right. I think so Mm -hmm. many people give away their power by being in really not great Mm -hmm. situations. And they're just like, I have to stay, I have to stay, I have to stay. And people are so scared to walk away from situations. And I'm like, Most of the time, Mm -hmm. like, especially in leadership roles, sometimes that's the best thing you can do. Like when you realize like this isn't in alignment with your values, this isn't a good fit for me, or I don't agree with the direction that folks are going in. People try so hard to change all of it. And I'm like, are you really in the position to change all of it? Sometimes maybe, and those are powerful places to be, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. a lot of times you're not. And the best thing is to walk away and find a better opportunity or a better fit.
0: I think for me, my husband always says this too, like I've always talked about brand. I feel like, again, it was maybe before branding was a thing and before I really even understood what it meant, I understood that I was cultivating this perception of me or my place in the world, and those relationships really mattered. And so when I was teaching at UNLV, one of the things that I would – say is like for me that that Babe Ruth concept was like once you identify what you want you can kind of work it backwards you could form the intentional relationships you can um, have the meaningful conversations but it's all going to come back to your reputation and at the end of the day even if you walk away from something there's still great relationships I cultivated that I had during that era of my life that I could always lean back on or reference or, you know, use to like an advantage in the future or use to give back to those people just the same. I just took my identity and I transferred it from one situation to another. So it wasn't even like walking away from me. It was more taking that reputation and targeting it into a more narrow scope of where I felt like I was going to have a bigger impact, not just for myself, but for the people around me.
1: Yeah. I love that. And I feel like that's honestly how I would describe you as a human being is that like you, you live in like really strong alignment with who you are. Like, I feel like you really know like who you are, the direction you're going in, the values you believe in. And if whatever you're doing isn't in alignment with that, you're like, nope, we're moving on. And like, I mean, even in weird ways, right? Like I've seen you do this with like your, your eating habits and the gyms you go to and how you like, how you raise your family certainly. And I've really seen you like lean into this idea of like, living in alignment with your values and who you believe you are. And I feel like this actually weirdly goes in really well with our emotional topic today, which is boredom, which I think most people think is like such a weird emotion to talk about. But I think any successful person, anyone that's ever served in a leadership role, whether formally or informally would say that boredom is actually a really big part of success. Um, monotony might be Mm -hmm. another good word for it, I guess. Um, but I, Mm -hmm. so, I, I looked up the definition of boredom because I thought that would give us a good place to start. Is so boredom is a state of mind characterized by a lack of interest, engagement, or stimulation in one's surroundings or activities. It often involves mm-hmm. feelings of restlessness, dissatisfaction, and a desire or something more engaging or meaningful. So I'm curious, mm-hmm. like as in because I think I think certain successful people would say like boredom is a requirement of success, is that like some days you're just not you're not gonna be excited about what it takes to be successful and to lead people and to lead yourself, but then other times you need to know when to like walk away from boredom to go into something that inspires you more and that you're more passionate about. So how did you figure that out for yourself? Like How did you figure out, whether that be personally or professionally, when you're going through these moments of maybe lack of fulfillment, boredom, and you're like, okay, like I just have to keep going, I have to keep pushing, Like I know I'm in the right direction, or you're like oh this isn't doing it anymore i need to go a different way
0: Mm -hmm. so great question i feel like there's boredom in that comes out sometimes where it's almost like a like an oppositional defiance to something like i just don't want to do that it's not what i want to do and so that's not the kind of boredom that I would necessarily describe as as bad, right? Like certain things are gonna be mundane that we do, but you just do them. But when you have like, when you're tying boredom to fulfillment and your enjoyment of something, or again, I go back to like, if you're making an impact and if you feel like you understand where you are in the chain, what link you're playing, you don't typically have that boredom. And I feel like So many times organizations will push down the talent and contributions of their people because they're trying to fit them in the box they think they belong in. And then what typically happens is people will shut down. I don't think that it's boredom that they're feeling or complacency. It's that they're not actually in their state of creative genius or flow to really make a contribution. And it could be because they're being tasked with something that they're not naturally inclined to perform well at. It could be, and you you know, there's so many personality tests that'll tell you how you're wired. But I think if you throw all of that out the window, and this is like my same philosophy with my diet or my exercise routine, you know, when something's working. And so when do you feel when, what are you, what are you doing throughout your day when you feel like you're in the biggest state of flow what are you doing when you're making the biggest you know impact to the people and organization at whole and then do more of that and figure out how to incorporate that in your role but if you have management that doesn't want you doing that or is trying to you know force you into this other box I feel like people get shut down they start retreating and then you're going to start seeing signs of like burnout or they're questioning like, is it me? No, it's not you. Because when you're doing these other things, you're performing really well. So goes back to that alignment piece. You know, and, and again, like just to even relate that back personally to me, there's been positions that I've held where the majority of my day was spent not leveraging my time, energy and talent. And I felt like it was sucking me dry. I felt unfulfilled. I felt like I was counting the hours, you know, when you're just like at an office metaphorically or in your mind where you're just like, when does this end? Whether it's today or what's, how do I get out of this situation? And it's because I wasn't being leveraged to the capacity that I felt like I could contribute. And we all have it. We all have our own That's the beauty of team is that everybody brings their own creative genius to the table.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And I think that I think actually this has a lot to do with leadership because when we're in those situations, you know, especially I think of middle managers a lot because that's where I spent a good chunk of my career. And, you know, you often feel like you are very powerless (laughs) because you have like all these people above you telling what to do and then all these other people you're responsible for. And and it can be sometimes very challenging. Um, But I think about what you just talked about in terms of like potentially working with a leader that maybe they aren't as great about recognizing, like, hey, like, someone is not in their skill level here. Someone is not thriving. They're not happy. They're not fulfilled. And I'm curious, like, how do you go about those conversations when maybe you are reporting to or have a leader of an organization like that? Like, how do you start those conversations to kind of be like, hey, like, I am not thriving here. Like this is not working for me. And I really want to excel. I want to do well. Cause I think there's a lot of people in the world that, and I think you and I would agree with this probably when we were in our early Mm -hmm. twenties or so, where it's like, you know, you're ambitious, you know, you're going to be a leader one day, you know, you're going to work the ladder, like what, in whatever capacity that looks like owning your own business or the corporate ladder or whatever it might be. But I think those people know that they're like, Oh, like I am destined to do big things. But then I feel like a lot of times they feel like they hit that like ceiling pretty quickly because they end up working for people that are not helping them thrive. So how do you go about mm-hmm. like having those conversations to try to, um, to break into your thriving zone? So you're not so bored and unfulfilled.
0: I think some of it, you know, and it's so interesting cause I'm noticing like a generational difference with some of the employees I have on my team that are like of the younger, gen z kind of (laughs) um era versus like some of the different older generations or millennials but like I feel like it's okay to advocate for yourself but depending on your organization and this is going to vary you kind of have to just like figure out how to play the game which if you want to be in the game right like um and then you slowly start figuring out like the people on the team that are going to recognize something in you and then you start you know leveraging i feel like those relationships um i'm reading a book right now called multipliers which i think is like a great book on this topic yeah love love it but it's you can kind of they talk about it if you're working for a diminisher or an accidental diminisher you can multiply your way up in an organization you don't have to have that suppression on you, but I think it's gonna be so different in each organization and it really depends. Like if your direct report is somebody that is constantly shutting you down, or, or I'm sorry, your manager is constantly shutting you down as a direct report, how are you going to advocate for yourself? Well, is there somebody else you can go to and start forming these strategic relationships with? And then maybe you're making a lateral move in an organization and you're trying to do something and you prove yourself in a different capacity. Or how do you? um, So again, I think it really depends on you have to have your boundaries intact, you have to know a lot of times it's not about you. Um, If you're, you know, how can you continue to stand by again, if if you're focused on your brand and how you fit in an organization and how the world is going to perceive you and the relationships you're going to cultivate, then you do your best and you understand this is not about me. This is not about my value, and I could still do really great work, protect my value, protect myself, still make an impact, but navigate in a different direction, you know, potentially. Um, But it is tricky because I think what I've seen a lot of times is if it's a cultural thing, meaning it's widespread throughout the company, you're going to have a culture of people who are going through the motions and unable to make decisions and all feeling that same level. And that's going to take, that's when I would say walk away from that organization, right? It's probably not a fit for you. You're not going to change a cultural, it's going to take a massive leadership change to come in and overhaul that. And that's even if that organization wants that kind of change. But if you're talking about one person and collectively the organization's not like that, I think you have more room to navigate your career in that situation.
1: Yeah, I love what. There's so many different ways I could go with what you just said because I feel like there's so much value there. Um, But I think one thing that you said that I really clung on to is that do you want to play the game, right? Like you have to play the game. Do you want to play the game? And I think that yeah. that in a, in a nutshell is something that I think people are really fearful to talk about when it comes to leadership development is that there is an essence of playing the game. There really is, especially in certain types of industries and in certain types of organizations, you have to recognize that you are in um, a political minefield sometimes. And there is some not some, probably a lot of politics and playing the game and really understanding people and what motivates people. And I think a lot of times people are terrified to admit that they are playing a game. And I think, you know, I, I'm sure you've done this too, but there's a conflict management assessment I've done with so many of my students and clients. And um, a lot of times people are surprised because the, it's based on animals and the animal that I am is a shark. And every time people are like, "Oh my god! Like, oh, oh my gosh! You're a shark!" And I'm like, "Why are <laughs> sharks bad? Like, sharks are awesome. They they eat a lot. They're so, they're a little scary, but they're also there's there's also really nice sharks. You know, there's leopard sharks. There's all sorts of sharks that you can love and don't bite. And um, but I think right. a lot of times people are like terrified to admit that like they're a shark. And what's wrong with that? I was like, I always tell people, I was like, I got really far in my career at a very young age." Because I was a little sharky, and I'm not afraid to admit that, because I'm really proud of my accomplishments, and I'm, I'm proud of the impact I've made on so many people and my students, and I know you feel the same way. Um, but I think that the interesting part of what you said to me was like, do you want to play the game? Because I think there is this moment where, like, if you feel like that's not an alignment, or that maybe you're like, I don't wanna be this way anymore. Like I remember a moment that you and I had, we were standing outside a building and I, I think one of us might've been crying at that given moment, could have been me. And uh, we were just both so <laughs> frustrated right. with the game. And we were, I remember this yeah. conversation like so vividly cause we were both like, do we actually wanna play this game anymore? And, you know, I think we we both kind of ended up going different directions for different reasons in that moment. And I'm so grateful we've been able to remain friends, but I think that that really reminds me of like, you know, I guess how boredom interacts with that is that I think a lot of times people get bored with the game and I often think I'm like, okay, maybe you just need a new game perhaps, but I think that people don't really view leadership that way and their career that way. And so I'm curious kind of your thoughts on, you know, when people are, are playing a game, so to speak, of leadership and life and career growth, you know, what happens when they recognize that, like, this isn't their game anymore?
0: I think that's when you walk away, right? I mean, it's, and it all depends on, again, it's really like what somebody wants for their brand and their life and their purpose in that moment. Right. So I've left various situations, um, maybe because it was like a not wanting to play the game or again, not wanting a seat at the table. Cause I didn't really love how they were like, what was on the menu and, and what, what caused it came at. Right. Um, And so, and typically if the, my line in the sand is if the cost comes at compromising any part of my values, it's not worth it, right? Um, And I try to keep that really front and center. I feel like when, as it relates to kind of like the boredom piece and you were saying something and it it struck me, talked a lot about organization, but not necessarily like the personal accountability side. And so really forcing myself at times to be honest with myself, how much, and we call it like clean, is your car clean, right? Like you can't blame everything on your employer or your manager or your leader or who's ever in charge. You really have to look in the mirror and go like, have I been doing all the things required of me to the best of my ability or am I just kind of giving up? And it's funny um, I took a personality test years ago as like the color code. And so for me, I'm like half red, half blue, which is like an insane combination. It's like literally almost 50-50, and I'm almost like no yellow and no white. And yellow is like fun <laughs> and and white is kind of like status quo. So I'm either like really type A red, kind of like power mode, or I'm like super emotional blue and you know, in touch with that side of, of my personality. But the way it plays out in a workplace sometimes is you can kind of procrastinate because you're afraid of, like, failing or not doing your best. And I was taking procrastination as boredom. It wasn't. It was me not taking action. It was me kind of like, I don't want to not do this perfect because the red in me, everything had to be perfect. And so something that you and I have talked ad nauseum about is like our willingness to just work on ourselves and not in like a narcissistic way, but like overcoming trauma, overcoming, um, you know, personal identities that have been created or labeled or put on us and really figuring out who we are for ourselves, especially at this, like what I think would be a critical time in our life. Right. And in looking in the mirror going, Oh yeah, I have to trust myself more oh yeah, I need to take action more. My car's not clean. I'm not going to walk away and put this all on this employer or this leader. And that's something that I try to do as well. And so I to come full circle with that, if, you know, to me, like, and my sports analogy, if I'm Babe Ruthing something, yeah, I'm playing a game. Baseball's a game, right? Like, I understand these relationships are strategic for me to get to where I want. And if you're not paying attention to that, Well, then you're hoping that people notice you and they don't. Nobody's, nobody's seeking you. You have to seek what you want. You have to pursue it. Right. So it's not a game in a sinister way. I don't think, I think it's like targeted success means intentional relationships. And to have intentional relationships, you have to have a level of like awareness on what you need to do to cultivate those relationships and some of those relationships are going to need different things, right? And I don't think it's a bad thing unless what you're trying to accomplish like no longer serves you, right? So it's not that I got bored of playing the game when I walked away from my PhD. I wasn't bored as much as I was like ready for a new challenge and I was ready for um something else in my life but when you're working on yourself you're kind of aware enough to recognize like oh this no longer serves me and so now the universe is opening up another opportunity for me but sometimes you're not really ready for that you could find yourself at an organization for a while too
1: yeah oh my gosh I I, I love how you just like brought in like personal development and personal growth into this conversation. <laughs> Obviously, that's something I'm widely passionate about, as I know you are. But I think that that is, you know, I, I actually wanted to ask you a question about burnout. And I feel like that goes so closely into what you were just talking about, because I think oftentimes people think they're bored at work or with their career or with, you know, even, you know, I know you and I both work with a lot of folks who are building businesses and things like that. And I think a lot of times people are like, Oh, I'm bored. This isn't what I'm passionate about anymore. And I'm like, so are you bored or like, do you need to go to the gym? Like, do you need to drink some water? Mm -hmm. Do you need to stop eating as much fast food? Like, is this actually Mm -hmm. like have anything to do with your career at all? Or does this have a lot to do with like how you are treating your mind, body and soul? Because I think that yeah. certainly those go hand in hand for sure. But I think to your point, a lot of times people want to blame, you know, the exteriors of the world. When in reality, I, I love that phrase that you use: "like is is your car clean." Like, are you taking care of yourself? Are you Are you showing up to work on time? Are you, you know, doing your job correctly, well, efficiently? Like, because sure, like, I think you can get really bored in a career if your boss is yelling at you every day and you kind of check out and you're like, oh, this sucks. But in reality, you're not doing anything you're supposed to be doing. Like, I can see how that would right. easily happen. So can you share yeah. a little bit about, I guess, really, truly the boredom and monotony that is personal growth and development? Because Every leader, and we know this, that you could ever talk to would say they are 100% on a personal growth journey. They're always trying to be better. They're always trying to grow and develop themselves, their organizations, their people. Like, those things go hand in hand. So can you share a little bit about how, what does that look like for you as a leader, as you're leading yourself, leading others, leading your family? Like, how do you continue to grow and develop and not grow bored throughout that process? Because um,
0: sometimes it is boring. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's like proverbs that says like, it's stupid to hate or it's like discipline. Like it's better to be disciplined than hate correction. It's like something like that. I'm probably messing that up. I'm horrible at recalling exact phrases, but you know, I started working on myself and my philosophy was like more good, less bad. That was like probably sometime in 2009. I'm going to guess like 2008, 2009, and something that I've realized is that it's kind of like, life's kind of like a video game, like you you hit one area of success, and you kind of start to plateau, and then it feels like, again, I think I mentioned this, like the universe is like, oh, now you're ready for more, and so then you somehow, you think you're done, and then it just opens up this no- another vortex, and you're like, oh, I'm not done, and then you do a little bit more work, and then now all of a sudden, you're ready to face something that you weren't ready to face previously or you couldn't hear it previously or these lessons that you had to learn. And I'm pretty big, um, like I have a pretty strong faith. I really love working on myself. I don't think I've ever gotten bored of working on myself. Um, I will say this though, I understand how people could. My husband will often say like, that he's kind of like tired. Like he's like, I don't wanna do all the things. Like I don't wanna eat healthy. I just wanna eat the pizza sometimes or I just wanna do this. Like he gets a little bit more bored of it. I really thrive on discipline. I always have. If I, not if, like I block out my schedule, everything gets a block. It drives some people crazy. They can't operate like that. But for me, like when I pick my daughter up, when I'm going to take some quiet time, how, you know, whatever it is, like if it's in my calendar, it's going to get done. And, I, and then I can see what I'm actually working with. And if my week is filled with blocks that aren't filling up my cup and I'm just, then I can see it visually and I can make changes and commit to less or try to mitigate some of that burnout. Um, And I think on the personal development side, it's funny. So I just took a leadership course, Ryan Holiday's leadership course that he offers through the Daily Stoic. I don't know if you listen to any of his stuff.
1: Yeah, I love it. But I bought the course.
0: Yeah. Love it. And I went through it and, you know, part of what I love about stoicism is like the, you know, kind of how meaningless everything can seem, which my favorite Bible verse is Ecclesiastes like 217, which is like, everything is meaningless, like chasing the wind. Right. And that makes, even in my career, some of these decisions to walk away sometimes or go out and do something bold a little easier because I'm like, in the grand scheme of things, nothing really matters, right? So like at one time or another, there's gonna be a, a point in time where like all of this, even what we're doing is either lost or forgotten, like statues get taken down, history gets kind of forgotten and like moved over and we're focused on present day. And so how then do you find your purpose and kind of like root yourself into like, well, I'm gonna make the most of what I'm doing right here in this moment. I'm going to be here with Jen. It doesn't really matter what happened before this podcast. It doesn't really matter what's going to happen after this podcast. It's going to be right now. <laughs> this is what needs me. And I've been trying to really live my life that way. But my point is with this challenge I took, you know, a lot of leadership courses are like how to be a better manager, how to be a multiplier, how to, they're giving you tactics. Really, this entire course was more about like living present and consuming content that really made you realize like life is going to continually throw these curveballs at you but if you can continue to navigate it and know like my job is to get out of bed and do the hard things and not be comfortable and continually push through these challenges then when the shit does hit the fan (laughs) I'm gonna have the the muscle memory to react accordingly And, you know, I know like cold plunges are popular now or like the sauna therapy or but even just like good old fashioned discipline, like I'm going to wake up at a certain time or I'm going to go to the gym and be disciplined with my body or I'm going to be disciplined with how I eat. Because then when I am thrown off course, I have the foundation to not completely crumble. And I think it's the same in leadership. So if you figure out how to regulate your emotions, then not everything at work is going to feel like it's happening to you and you're a victim, but you're going to be able to kind of navigate your reaction to the things around you. And I think emotional regulation in the workplace is probably something that's not talked about a lot. And so one of the hallmarks of stoicism is like not complaining, right? Like, what, what good is it going to do? It, what good is complaining going to do or worrying? Like you kind of have to act more. And I think it's so easy when I, when I hear people like, oh, my job sucks. I hate this. I hate that. And it's kind of like, again, whatever that person who's doing that, it's not that they're doing anything bad, but in their journey, they haven't reached a level of awareness that they actually have control over this. And that they can actually change their way of thinking about that situation. That's going to make it not feel so like impossible to get through.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I I completely agree. I say in my classes all the time that you have to learn how to lead yourself before you can lead others. Um, I've started saying before you can lead others well, (laughs) because I think we certainly have all seen – maybe managers more so than leaders that are in roles where they're managing a lot of people and they have no idea what they're doing. And that can be super frustrating. Um, But I think that really like, you know, that self-awareness and self-regulation and what I would define as personal leadership is, I mean, it's everything when it comes to leading large organizations and people, because if you are a disaster, (laughs) then everyone feels that. And that, and you know, I think people, when I say that, I think people often think of like, oh, you know, they show up to work and like their shirt is wrinkled or they have a coffee stain. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, I'm talking about like when your manager yells at you because you know, you accidentally tripped up and did one tiny thing wrong. I'm like, that is not emotional regulation. Like, small mistakes do no. not require a lecture or to be yelled at right like there's micro mistakes and macro mistakes and leaders need to figure out which is which and how to identify and how to well, move like, forward Yeah, let's
0: talk about yelling in the workplace like who does it like like no like it's it's just not again it's just like not appropriate behavior right like we want if you want to be respected and it's like and and i love this in the book with the In the Multipliers book, it was a funny story she tells um, about her children one night. She's like, oh, yeah, I'm trying to get, she had, like, young kids, and she's like, I'm just yelling at them, like, get ready for bed, brush your teeth, do the things, and they're just, like, not responding. And she goes, and she was complaining about it to a coworker, and the coworker's like, have you tried, like, asking them questions and, like, not like barking at them. And she's like, well, what do you mean? She's like, just go home and ask questions. She goes home and she's like, hey, do you know what time it is? And the kids are like, it's bedtime. And she's like, and what do we do at bedtime? And they're like, we brush our teeth. And she's like, and then what do we do? And she, they're like, we put on our pajamas. And she's like, oh my gosh, like they knew how to do this all along. But they, nobody likes being yelled at. Nobody likes being told what to do. They want to feel like they're a part of the conversation. And I think... The term leader gets overused with, if you have a title, I think we can all lead. It's just getting on the same page with people, having communications and like respectfully navigating these situations. So you're both part of a solution and you could do that on a mini level, like a small problem that has to be solved. Like, oh, we're going to miss this deadline. How can we come together and do this to a macro level? And I work with somebody who I absolutely adore but he he is great at like advocating for himself in a really respectful way and he'll say like when something's not working for him but he doesn't do it in a way where he's yelling and this actually hierarchically is somebody who's in a position that's lower let's say than mine but has no problem respectfully saying like hey when you say this it actually doesn't work for me and then i but i have done enough work on myself to know, well, that doesn't mean I'm a bad leader. It just means I have to communicate a little bit better. And that communication style can differ from person to person, but your people should feel safe enough to tell you what they're thinking and feeling. And if they don't, that's on the person in charge, whether that person in charge is a leader or not
1: yes preach yeah i talk a lot about you know the difference between positional power right and versus just actual relational power that some leaders have, some don't. Right. And I always, I always think about like, you know, all of my friends that are like moms, right. Stay at home moms and stuff. And I'm like, you all are like some of the best leaders ever because you're leading these tiny little humans into adulthood, which arguably to me looks like the hardest thing in the entire world as someone who does not have children (laughs) and dads too. Dads too. I just, you know, I have a lot of female friends. And so I think that, you know, I think about that a lot, right? Because I was essentially raised by a single dad. And I think about all of the things he did that I watched as a child. And I, like, thought he walked on water. And, you know, I would never at that age have been like, oh, like, a dad is a leader. But, like, now, knowing what I know about family units and and even, like, with, with my husband and I, like, like you are leading your home and that is important. Yeah. And I think that this mm-hmm. kind of weirdly goes back to personal development is that I often think about how, um, people mistake discipline for, for boredom or for monotony. When in reality, I think that discipline is essential. Freedom.
0: Yes. Discipline and it gives is freedom. so much freedom. Like it is so freeing, like, you know, I know you and I both struggle with some health challenges, but like I have, um, an autoimmune issue and I've been, you know, working at it for years and I had to make a decision. Like, do I want to live my life sick or do I want to live my life healthy and like feel good while I'm here? I, it's not about, I talk about this a lot with my husband. I'm like, it's not about living forever. I don't want to live forever. Um, I'm not trying to, but I'm trying to live today feeling great. And so if that means I can pick up my, you know, I'm, I'm tiny, right? Like I'm 105 pounds, I'm not, you know, 5'3". I wanna be able to pick up my 50 pound child <laughs> and not get winded. I wanna be able to, you know, carry my groceries inside. I wanna be able to run to the gate if I'm missing my flight and not feel like I'm gonna die. I wanna be able to not be sick and bloated and have acne because my gut's a mess. Like, so yeah, the discipline it takes to eat balanced or fuel my body in a way that's working for my body or do the hard things like i you know whether that is cold plunging or sauna regularly in my routine or making time to go work out at five in the morning like whatever those disciplines are free me up to live a better quality of life so it, it's i think if somebody is feeling like that discipline is boring then they're not quite ready to unlock the the freedom that comes with that discipline and so then the question becomes like what work do you have to do on yourself to undo whatever level of trauma is blocking that
1: dang girl preach it (laughs) That's a good word. That's a good word. It's so true though. I think that, you know, it's so funny, right? And like, everything is relative. I always have people tell me that like, wow, you live like such a disciplined life or like you work so hard. And I'm like, have you met some of the people that I associate with? Like, I th- I think about you often when I'm going to the gym and I'm like, I don't want to be here. It's 7 30 at night. I want to go to bed. And, but then I think about like you and like one of my other best friends who lives in Florida and just like how disciplined you all are with like your ability to take care of your body and to work out or move your body every day and whatever capacity that means. And I always think about that because I'm like, I, I do not surround myself with undisciplined people. I surround myself with the people I want to be like, and those people don't think it's boring to, you know, work 10 to 12 hour days, you know, and that doesn't always mean working 10 to 12 hours for your employer. Like sometimes that means I'm going to work a really solid nine hour day for them. And then I'm going to go work on passion projects that I'm obsessed with like this. Right. And I think Mm -hmm. about those disciplined people and how. I think average every ordinary day people would say that a lot of successful people's lives are boring. When in reality, I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh, no, dude. I was like, we're just really, really disciplined. Like, Monday through Friday look a very specific type of way for me. And I I don't get a lot of free time during the work week. I really don't. But Saturdays, I'm like, okay, like I usually do a lot of disciplined behaviors most of Saturday. But then 5 p.m. and on, I'm like, those are like my fun nights. That's when I like go out and do things and like try new things and go to new restaurants. And like, I always have so much fun. That's my date night with my husband. And, you know, Sunday is my family day where. I spend the entire day with my dad and my husband, and we always try to do something fun and exciting. And I know you've been following our golf journey. That's going I fascinating. It. I want to
0: golf with you because I'm so like, bad. I suck at golfing, but I, I like, I need somebody else who sucks to golf with. Cause when I golf with good people, I'm like, wow, it's, it's embarrassing. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. And I, and
1: you know this, but my husband is like good at everything he does, which is
0: amazing but
1: so annoying i know your husband's the same way and i i was like yeah i was like i need like a girl's trip to the golf course where like we're all okay enough and we're all just gonna have fun and get better and it's gonna be great
0: (laughs) 100 percent. it's funny um this has been like a recurring theme for me the past like two weeks but you know i'm i'm sure people are gonna be listening who are like yeah that sounds great but like I'm not there, right? And I wasn't always this way. I struggled with moderation. I struggled with complaining. I struggled with boredom. And I think if you're if you're interested in personal development, it just doesn't happen overnight and it's something that you work at, like it's it's a never-ending living project you're living you're evolving your experiences are changing everything is dynamic there was a point in time um I was like so I again another another thing about me is I've struggled with anxiety in the past and I used to say like I will never not drink alcohol I I don't see how I could be in a social situation and not have a drink just in case I start feeling a certain way And I don't know if it's the work I've done on myself. I mean, it could be attributed to a lot of things. But I'm going on like five months without drinking. And there was a point in my life where like that wasn't possible. And whatever level I've hit in my journey, and I still feel like I have such a long way to go to figure out more and to optimize more and to feel my best and be my best emotionally, physically, and, and all the things. But whatever I've done has led me into this next chapter where this section has unlocked and oh, you are ready to actually face that. Why? Well, now I'm more comfortable with myself. And I have some coping mechanisms when I'm uncomfortable to breathe through certain things where in the past, if you were like, breathe through this. I would have laughed at you. <laughs> I would be like, no way. But now I under kind of I understand what it means. And if you're not understanding it or you're not getting it, it just means you have to do something different now to like unlock that next piece. And I heard this great quote on a Tim Ferris podcast the other day where he said, um, you can't think your way into acting. You have to act your way into thinking. And Mel Robbins talks a lot about this, all these people in the personal development space who are you know, kind of walking the walk or say, if you don't feel like doing it, sometimes you just have to do it, right? And if you do the things, eventually your brain catches up and goes, oh, I am somebody who hydrates. Oh, I am somebody who doesn't drink alcohol because I'm proving to myself on a daily basis that I can do these things. When I first started working out consistently, I was like, this sucks. And there was a point in time where I hated work waking up at five in the morning. Now I love it. I get to wake up, and I'll spend. I, I usually go to like a five a.m. gym class. I'm home by five forty-five. I spend some time reading the Bible and grounding myself into like what I find to be super purposeful. I'll read uh, Leo Tolstoy's "A Calendar of Wisdom." Like I'll read the day's quotes. I'll kind of like meditate on it. I'll journal a little bit. I'll go over my day and really be intentional about like, who do I want to connect with today? Who do I want to like, what is the number one goal today? I don't focus on all of it. I don't try to overwhelm myself, although I have those goals and there's a time and place to look at them. And then I carry that throughout the day. And then at the end of the day, I evaluate it, right? And like you strategically do these things to then move into the next part and then the next part. And eventually I'll do this long enough that hopefully it unlocks something else I'm not seeing.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I, it's so funny. I literally just texted someone uh, Friday morning and I was like, okay, I did not do my morning habits and my day is a disaster and like nothing is yeah. going right. <laughs> and I think that so many people, like truly like every leader, I know, and every successful person I know has like a really strong morning routine. And it's not like I wake up 10 minutes before I have to leave. I roll out of the bed and I like throw my child in a car and I leave. Right. Most of them, it is like this.
0: Yeah. And it drives me nuts when people are like, well, you have to make your bed. You have to do that. It's whatever works for you that puts you into a place of, I feel good about my day. And, And I've had to be, look, I live with on any given week, five people in my house. And I say that because, you know, some of my kids are older. My stepgirls are older. Sometimes they're not always at the house. But whether it's three or five of us, you're navigating life with these other humans, just like in the workplace. And so if they leave things messy, I can't yell at them to clean it. Can I be okay living in chaos? If Well, yes, if I'm disciplined and I feel like I have my life in order, then I don't have to be as affected by the other elements and knowing and having the social and emotional awareness to know if what I'm doing is, you know, inconveniencing the other people in my life. And it's the same at work. If I'm super bored and I'm not contributing or I'm pulling away, how is that affecting my coworkers? How is that affecting clients? How is that, you know, what is that saying about me and people's experience with me? And so if I'm focused on how I want to make others feel and the impressions I want to leave in their day, I'm not going to carry that energy into it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it goes back to what you mentioned earlier about emotional regulation. I think our our energy regulation is a big part of that as well, is that like people can feel when you're off, like people can feel if you've had a bad day, people can feel if you're rushed, people can feel like if you're just down and tired, like other people feel that. And I think a lot of times leaders underestimate the power that they actually carry into spaces that, you know, I try so hard to be intentional that when I walk into spaces, I'm like, okay, breathe like whatever happened before is going to stay there. I'm going to, you know, try my best to like keep, stay level headed and it's been such a journey for me because I get I have a million tabs open in my brain all the time and it's really easy for me to get distracted and to bring the junk of this into this and I've had to really learn to separate all of that and I think it's actually a really powerful lesson for leaders is that like there's also, you know, discipline in the brain a lot of which that I think a lot of people could really, um, we can do a whole uh, episode on discipline. I think that's a weird emotion within itself. Um, But I think that a lot of people, yeah, yeah. I mean, people just mistake what boredom is. And I think that um, it's just not valued in the way that it should. So as we wrap up, I have two final questions for you. So you actually mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, the idea of goals. And I have never met a leader that isn't consistently setting goals and trying to get better in multiple areas of life. So I was curious, what is like your top goal that you're working on right now and why?
0: Good question. Um, so <laughs> there's a really simple goal actually this year that, I'm very focused on has nothing to do with my career it's just to create more memorable experiences with my family so I haven't been back home in two years Um, we haven't traveled a lot I took on the position that I'm in now about two years ago and it's been a lot and my husband's a business owner and we have a young child and our middle daughter is about to enlist in the navy and I feel like this hourglass is just going by and I'm missing these opportunities to create moments with the people that I love. Um, because we've been so goal centric on our businesses, our careers, and honestly just like the day to day. And I want to be really intentional, intentional about scheduling out these trips and these, um, these things. So like, I had a goal, like I want us to go, we've been rocking. So like the weighted backpacks, um, my husband and I, like, we'll just go out on a rock on a weekend because we could put the toddler in the stroller and, you know, or she'll even put on like her backpack and like ruck with us. Like, um, she doesn't really have weight in there obviously, but like, she'll have like a book or something. And I was like, we need to get in nature as a family. And if we don't put it on the calendar, we don't make it happen, it's not gonna, it's not gonna happen. And so it was kind of funny. Like none of us wanted to go. It was like one of those days where you're just like, do like, are we really doing this right now? And we all piled in the car. We went to Lake Las Vegas and we did like a small, you know, hour-long trail. And we all left. We got back in the car, and like everybody was so happy we did it. And I feel like I've been missing those moments because I've not, it's not even that I've been so disciplined, it's that we've been so focused on other things. And so for me, this year was just a little bit more balance on the family side um, and getting those experiences in. And so booking the trips, planning the dates, putting them on the calendar. Because if it doesn't, if you don't do that, it doesn't happen.
1: Yeah. I love that. And I think that's such a good description of just like, um, seasons of life, right. Is that I think a lot of times people are potentially scared to walk into leadership roles because they're like, I don't want that responsibility or like, I'm never going to have any free time or I'm going to be working all the time. And I'm like, well, it's like, it's a season, right? It's like, it's the same idea that when you go to college, it's, it's for ish years it's a season you know and i know yeah yeah well and i know like you right both of us like we have graduate degrees and it's like that's a season it's a tough season it's not a super fun season yeah. but it's a season and so i love that you're walking into this new season that like you've you know you have you've always been successful like you've always done so incredible in your career and your husband's businesses and your businesses and oh my gosh, like you, you make me feel lazy and that is hard to do to be completely honest. Like I do not feel lazy often. I think I'm a pretty hardworking person, (laughs) but whenever I think of you, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not doing enough. And then I try to bring that back. Cause I'm like, comparison is the thief of all joy.
0: Yeah. I'm like, don't do that. I feel the same when I look at you. Are you kidding me? I I think like, it's so it's funny. Cause I, and I know we're wrapping up, but I want to say this cause I said it the other day and it stuck, it stuck with me. Like I've always said I hate the term work-life balance and people like, look at me like I'm crazy because you don't really say that, right? Everybody wants work-life balance, but having, you know, whether I'm overseeing an organization with like 70 people, which is the position I'm in now, or there's like four, these, there are certain employees that'll just be like, they, they identify work-life balance to be like when I'm at work, I'm at work. And when I'm at home, I'm, I'm at home. And I was having this conversation with one of my managers and I was like, no, that's not balance. I was like, it's not moderate to turn something off. And you know, if I, if I'm here and my phone rings right now and it's one of my kids, I'd probably be like, Jenna, they know I'm doing something really important. I'm going to put you on hold. This is like, right. That's balance. Like, and I feel like work-life balance means a little bit of your life can interfere with your work and a little bit of your work can also interfere with your life. And so if I'm out on a hike or I'm out to dinner and somebody calls me from work and I see it's an emergency and they need me to deal with something, I'm going to be there. Right. Because that's the reputation I want to have that I can be accessible. I can have also boundaries in place and say, I'm taking a vacation or I'm doing this, but there's that balance. And I think it's the same. I don't look at me in court. In fact, I think I was too far one way. Um, for two years, I was really just focused on my career and, Although I did make the time to like pick up my daughter from school, drop off my daughter to school, you know, go to her events or have date nights. That was all happening, but I wasn't doing enough of the things to balance it out, right? So like I am trying to just incorporate a little bit of both. So maybe that's, hey, I'm going to dip out early on a Friday because we're going to go on a weekend trip but I'm taking that time, even if I work a little bit in there, to cultivate an experience and live more in the moment.
1: I love that. That's so powerful. And I think that's, I I remember the first time you told that to me that you're like, oh, work-life balance isn't a thing. And I, I think, I, I do think our society trains <laughs> us to believe that, but it really, I yeah. actually took a moment to really critically think about that. And I say that to students a lot now is that I, I don't actually really believe work-life balance is a thing. Not if you want to be successful. I think you have seasons of life. Like you have seasons of life where you yeah. are like putting your all into things. And sure, like, I hope everyone has boundaries. I hope that you have time with your family. And I hope that life you is do those things. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like being a right. thriving human being is just like work, right? Like, I think that's like it's the hard. most the most common thing people are saying right now is like, oh, like adulting is hard. And I'm like, Yeah. Like it is, it is like, it is hard to wake up every single day and go to work and to take care of yourself and to take care of your family and take care of your home. And like, I had a freaking light out in my car for like the last like two weeks. And finally I was like, I need to get this fixed. And I was like, adulting is hard. Like just living as a human yeah. being is a little difficult, but I also think that it's like, it's a mental reframe a lot of times that you have to reframe. And I'm like, is this actually hard? Come on, come on.
0: Right. That's what I love though when Ryan talks about, like, Marcus Aurelius, hated getting out of bed. This is, like, a stoic emperor, the most powerful emperor of Rome, right? Like, thousands of years ago, hates getting out of bed, journals about it. Like, oh, I just want to stay in my bed and be comfortable. Like, this is not new to humans. Adulting is always, like, whether you're a Roman emperor or you're, you know, a college student who's just trying to figure out how to, like, pay their tuition and, like, register on time, it's hard. So, like, life is work work is life you're just gonna get paid to do something so you might as well do it in a way that you find your flow and i mean i can go on on that but anyway we'll save that for balanced. another episode because yeah. apparently this <laughs> like, is something we're both
1: passionate about <laughs> i know okay we can talk for like eight hours seriously well <laughs> okay so my last question i think that you know when i think about emotional leadership lessons um some of my biggest surround fear and really overcoming fear and realizing that fear is not real. Fear is a liar, but I do recognize that it is a really, really large emotion that a lot of people feel on a day-to-day basis, some in bigger ways than others. Mm -hmm. So my question for you is that if you were not afraid of anything, like you had legitimately no fear no anxiety at all about anything ever, what would you do?
0: So, I think uh, it's actually funny that you asked this question because I do believe, you know, this theme for me during this podcast has been like, when you're ready, these opportunities start to present themselves and you can walk through them, right? So I've spent over a decade focused on other people's businesses, other people's brands, other people's companies and building them. And I've gotten really, I think, pretty good at that craft, coming into an organization, identifying all the pieces, putting a plan together, executing that plan, rallying people you know, to like see that vision, building teams. And whether that's been on smaller or larger scales, I've done it for other people. And I've had many people in my life say, why aren't you doing more of this for yourself? Why aren't you, you know, creating things? And and I would just kind of stop. And I realized there's this, I wouldn't call it a fear of creating. I love creating, I love organizing. Like that's my flow, that's my jam, that's when I'm performing the best. But to turn the camera on myself and make it my vision, my dream, my goals, feels terrifying um it feels like almost crippling like what if it sucks and what if people hate it right um and so I don't know what the thing will be but I know there's this like nagging call it I don't know if it's like the holy spirit or something talking to me going you're ready for something to change you're ready for you're ready you know You're almost there, be willing to put yourself out there and whatever that is, it's not like I have some idea of what I wanna create, but when I'm okay being vulnerable and that fear goes away, I think I can actually live out the talents that have been given to me in a way that are more meaningful because right now I leverage them in the projects that I'm in, but it's not necessarily something that I'm building because it's, it's my dream. I've been given the skills to do it, but the thought of it is scary. And so trusting myself more to do that, I think I would, if I had zero fear, I would be creating those things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for defining whatever they are. Thank you for defining (laughs) literally exactly how I feel launching
0: this podcast. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I look at you and I'm like, okay, she's doing it. She's doing it. Like, <laughs> but it takes a lot. It's, you, you know, you're going through it right now. I deeply thank Brene
1: Brown for this moment and all of her books and literature. Um, because I, yeah, I mean, I think, like I said, I lived a lot of my life in fear, um, I don't actually think I was ever really afraid of what other people thought of me. Cause I am a pretty confident yeah. person, but just these deep rooted fears. And I think, you know, you and I have talked so much about trauma and I, I think a lot of it yeah. certainly might go back to that. But I think, you know, I really do. I credit Brene Brown a lot because uh, one of her books Daring greatly literally talks about exactly that and like leaning into vulnerability. And I realized at some point I was like, okay, well, I guess like, I guess we're just going to lean in and see how that goes.
0: (laughs) So here we are. Yeah. Well, it seems to work for everybody who does it. So you're going to be great. (laughs) You are great already.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining us for episode one. This was so awesome. And you're an incredible leader. And I'm so grateful for everything that I've learned from you over the last decade. And I'm excited to see uh, what people take away from this episode and when they get to learn from you. So thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us today on Tearing Up My Heart Emotional Leadership Lessons Podcast. I hope you learned so much and are ready to tear up old notions and get started on your leadership journey. Make sure to follow us at J Heath Moreno, and I hope you'll join us next time.